In a recent podcast, I was talking about studying the behavior of the Somali wild ass. There's a second part to that story that was looking at a totally different project as a equine reproductive physiologist. And, and stick with me, this isn't going to get too sciencey, but I was looking at ways of how to propagate more Somali wild ass. They were critically endangered. There was only so many left on the planet, handfuls. And I was working with the Conservation Center on strategies to increase their population. It took me down a deep rabbit hole that went in a direction I never expected. And that was in in the realm of chemical communication. And this is an important aspect of how horses communicate to us, but it also got me thinking about how we communicate with each other. We're a very vocal species, but we do communicate in other ways that we don't even know our biology is telling us and yet we don't even think about it it doesn't cross our consciousness and that is when it comes to smells going down this rabbit hole of of how to propagate more smile wild ass it got me into this set of genes called the mhc genes these genes are critical in maternal recognition of pregnancy it's the reason we're here during gestation the mother does not attack the fetus its immune system does not respond and the mhc genes play a key role in but it got me reading these papers about chemical communication and and how we go down into this realm called mate choice and studies in in humans and horses have shown that smells play a key role in who we decide are going to be our mates Have you ever noticed when somebody doesn't smell good to you, their natural body odor is repugnant. And then you have other people that you spend time with and their body odor is really pleasant. That is your biology. That is your body telling you the person that smells really well, their immune system genes are completely different from yours. So if you have offspring with them, they're gonna have a robust immune system to withstand and fight off all these germs and pathogens we find in this hostile world we live in. Our immune system plays such a key role in protecting us. In horses, we have done studies and mares prefer stallions through scent that their immune genes are totally different from them. So when we think about communication, and it's not just vocalizations, There's a lot more going on than we can ever understand. And Secretariat being led, he is numbering... The horse. And the horse is the best thing in the world, isn't it? So I suppose one's always... I've always loved them, really. Ever since I was a little girl. Everybody's in line, and they're off. Secretariat away very well has good position... The love. Oh, I never thought owning a horse could mean so much to me. The madness. What kind of a horse is that? I've never seen a horse like that before. He is moving like a tremendous machine. Their story. Mustang is more involved in the in the early development of this breed than I thought they were, but they were. Welcome 
too mad about horses. I'm Dr. Chris Mortensen. I've been an equine educator and researcher for over 20 years. And in this episode of Mad About Horses, we're going to talk about how horses communicate. We open up with chemical communication because that's one we don't even think about, really. We look at other aspects, but do horses communicate through chemicals? Yes, absolutely. And we'll include that in today's podcast. But for any equine enthusiast, any horse owner, this, this episode's critical. It's, it, it's more than just, say, reading their ears. There is so much going on in how horses communicate to us that really it takes a, a really well-trained eye to be able to recognize some of these things. And it goes back into veterinary medicine. It, one of the aspects of veterinary medicine that I really admire my colleagues is how they can go and look at a horse and get a good idea of what's going on physically and health-wise. The horse can't turn around and say, hey, doc, my hoof hurts. Or, hey, doc, my suspensory ligament is really aching today. The veterinarian, through hours of training, years of training, a lifetime of learning, can go and say, oh, yeah, you've got an injury here. Or, oh, yeah, this is, I've seen this before. Or, oh, yeah, oh, this is something new, but I know where to go and get the information. So in today's podcast, in general, we're going to talk about how horses communicate to us. And, and, and it just, what does the research say, right? Like, what, what studies are out there to talk about how horses are, are, are trying to tell us what is going on in their minds? Because equine behavior, this is just the first step in, in a long series of episodes that we'll probably have on behavior is the foundation of any relationship we have with our horses. You know, so if you go back to How Horses See the World podcast and understand it from their hooves, from their eyes, from their ears and nose, and then how do they communicate to us? And they, and they are communicating constantly, you know, with, with their herd mates, with us, other animals around them that they form bonds with. They maintain social bonds. It is so important to them, and it's so important to us to understand that. Because if you think about it for us as humans, we communicate through vocalization. We talk a lot to colleagues, friends, family, or we, we have written communication. We have language that we use to communicate. Where horses, not so much. They do have a vocalization, but body language is a big one. Facial expressions, you know, what their noses are doing and their eyes. And then we, you know, then we go into actual vocalizations and then we'll talk about chemicals and, you know, how we communicate. I talked about MHCs. It's such a fascinating topic. And at the end of this podcast, I'll, I'll jump into that study a little bit that they did in horses. But it really got me thinking like, wow, okay, yeah, I, my siblings don't smell good to me because we have very similar immune genes. And it makes me laugh, you know, and I tease them when I was going into this research and, and they didn't laugh with me, but I was being like, oh my goodness, you smell so bad because our immune genes are so close to us where my partner, their immune genes are much different and they smell really pleasant. So it's just fascinating all this, the biology of it all, right? When we, when we break it down. But when we think about our relationship with horses, 
understanding how they're communicating to us is important, but also let's reverse that and how we communicate. Can I have a couple interesting studies in there? And then we're going to do some follow-up podcasts on that, but how we vocalize to the horse, our body language, they're very perceptive. So how we communicate to them is going to have an impact on how they respond to that, right? And that's, there's a million podcast episodes on training and, and disciplines and everybody has different ideas on how to train a horse. I'm breaking down to just basic communication. When you approach a horse, your body language, your vocal tone is going to have an impact on them, right? This isn't really getting to the training of it. It's more of just general day-to-day care of the, of the horse. So, you know, we're going to jump into body language then we'll talk about vocalization, then touch, and then we'll end up with, with chemical communication. Now, to start all this off, one of the books I really enjoyed, and I read through it again before doing this podcast, was A Practical Field Guide to Horse Behavior, the Equid Ethogram, by Dr. Sue McDonald. And I've had the pleasure of meeting her a, a couple times at conferences. She's an amazing equid behaviorist top in the field. She's at the the University of Pennsylvania and she works in the School of Veterinary Medicine and she's a certified applied animal behaviorist with the Animal Behavior Society. This is an an incredible book to just basic equid behavior and like I said, day-to-day, how they interact with each other. So if you're really interested in that, I'd suggest maybe going to Amazon, find that book. It's, It's great to add to your library. I've had it for for 20 years, you know, since I got into academia. Just to quote her, and this is on page 90, she just does a really good brief synopsis on general equine communication. She says, quote, horses are known for their multi-sensory alertness, herd vigilance, and instantaneous reactivity to threat. Postures and expressions in various combinations appear to be important visual elements of communication. Within and between bands of horses, very subtle changes in ears or tail position appears to convey information. Horses emit a variety of vocalizations as well as other sounds that are likely to serve as communication within the herd. So then she talks about specific vocalizations, but then she also says chemical cues also likely play a large part in communication within and between groups of horses as well as in perception of threatening predators. So that's just a brief synopsis and she beautiful book, wonderful book and we're going to we're going to talk a little bit about what she she says in there and then go look in some of the studies. What are the research studies showing in horse communication and, and how horses communicate with us and others? Horse body language, any trainer, anybody working around horses, this is one of the first things you, you learn about you get experience in, because this is to me, probably one of the most critical, important aspects of horse care or working with horses. And that is because you have to be able to read that horse for your safety and their safety. But whenever I was, I was training horse riding or teaching students, always talk about the horse, always talk about looking at them, understanding their behavior. I remember as a young student, 
somebody who made such a major impact in my life, uh, Mr. Gene Armstrong. He was one of my professors at Cal Poly. He was a farrier, a horseman, a cowboy. Taught me a lot early on in my career. And I could just listen to him all day talk about horse behavior. And through his learned career, teaching students, working around horses, I remember his biggest impact. And I could still remember sitting there in the arena as he talked about a horse. And it just, it just captured me right then and there. And horse behavior was something I just wanted to learn more about. And he was talking a lot about understanding the horse's body language, what they're telling you, not just their health, but for your safety, especially when you're going to, to, to train others on how to ride horses, right? Because the basics of a horse assessing a situation, and we do this, that's the thing, we do this day in, day out, we don't even realize it. Go into a store, walk down a street, whenever you're outside your home, the safety of your home, you are constantly evaluating your environment. You don't even realize you're doing it, but you're looking for threats. If somebody's coming down the street and they angry or upset, your heart's going to race, your eyes are going to widen, you're going to get in this fight or flight response. And you may turn around, you may duck into a store, you may cross the street. We're constantly doing this and, and you're not thinking of it. Well, horses are, are they're doing the same thing all day long. This is an animal that evolved to survive and evade predators. So this fight or flight response that we talk about has taken millions of years to evolve to get to where we're very hyper perceptive. So with horses, let's just use it in the horse sense, fight or flight, you know, there's, they're either going to fight to survive, but most of the time they're going to flee. So when they have an awareness, you know, a horse is grazing, it's just automatic behavior. They're, they're eating all day. We know that's what they like to do or standing. There's something that changes in their environment. So they're alert. And then they're suspicious and they get curious. Is that a threat? And they're assessing it in their brain very quickly. This isn't like some 10 minute philosophical discussion in their head. This is almost instantaneous. Then if there's any concern, ooh, that's a big brown bear coming towards me. Or, oh, that's Chris. He's bringing me food, right? So then it's either going to relax and do other affiliated behaviors, hopefully positive behaviors. Or if there's a predator around, they get hyper alert. That's a threat. We're going to escape. They'll have panic, fight or flight. Most of the time, horses are going to turn and flee. If, say, it's another horse and they're going to fight or the predator surprises them. You see this all the time in wildlife videos in Africa of zebras. A, a lion pops out of the bush and, and grab, goes after a zebra. Zebra's going to fight. You know, they're going to try to flee, but they're going to start kicking. I've seen zebras biting uh, Nile crocodiles to get away that were trying to, to get them. That's the fight in them. They'll bite. They'll kick anything to survive as they try to get away and flee, right? So it's, it's being able to recognize that body language. General body language when looking at horses from a distance. So you own your horses. You should get eyes on them once a day at least. You know, I always tell people morning and evenings, get an eye on your animal, observe them, make sure they're okay. Most of the time they should be grazing, moving around. 
or standing looking relaxed, but do they look depressed, lethargic? They're not eating. They're laying, you know, horses do lay down, not often, but they do. But are they not getting up? Is there some abnormality to their behavior? And, and the most extreme for me is when I went to go get a mare down in Texas for one of our research projects and I walk out into the field, the pasture grasses had grown kind of high and I looked and there was literally a crop circle. It was a big crop circle that she had created because she was colicking had abdominal pain and because she was pawing all around for the hours in the night, this was early morning when I went to get her, she was in, in, in massive stress and immediately this was abnormal. Long story short, with that mare, we were able to treat her colic and she was fine, but that was an, a, an extreme situation where the horse was not well, and it was clear as day that she was not well. But you want to do that. You want to go and, and, and do that. Now, body postures for horses, this alert stance. Anytime you approach, they're going to get alert because again, remember they have that 350 degree view of the world, their binocular vision. Not the greatest, you know, but they have very good monocular vision. So it's very hard to sneak up on a horse. And that, again, is just real quick safety. You never want to approach towards the tail from behind where they can't see you. Or if you are approaching and their backs turn to you, make noise, make sure they know you're there. They will usually turn their head right or left uh, to, to look at you with their, with their eye, monocular vision. But when they see you approaching, generally that head's going to come up, ears pricked forward. And they're alert and they're evaluating. Again, they're evaluating the situation. Their nostrils are going to get a little bit bigger, you know, and elevated because their chemical communication, trying to smell, but also in that flea fight or flight stage, they need to oxygenate their lungs and their body to get away safely, right? So their body's getting ready. Okay, am I going to flee? Okay, then they're going to turn their bodies and explode away to get away. If they're going to fight, and you see this with, say, stallions, not so much in modern day horse breeding or where stallions are, are kept separately, but out in the wild, if we went and watched some feral horses or Przewalski horses, we'd see stallions sparring. Even young stallions in bachelor groups will spar in a friendly match. But, you know, when, they're, when there's a threat and they're going to fight, they're going to tightly tuck in that neck, their muzzles drawn forward, their, their head thrusting. You see that with stallions quite a bit. They'll thrust their head forward as a threat. Their ears are pinned back. We're going to talk about ears here more in a second in the fight phase. And then they're either going to kick, so turn around and kick, or they'll rear up and strike or bite. So in that fight, and that's generally, you don't want to see that. It, it, it's something you don't want to see uh, your horses doing. Now, when a horse is relaxed, and this is ideally what we want to see, you know, there's no tension in their body. So their posture's relaxed, their head's relaxed. So it's not in that alert or alarm. They're down grazing or they're dozing or they're just standing and resting and their eyes are soft. So you may ask, what does that mean? Well, when the eyes are soft, that generally means their eyelids are relaxed. So there's no tension in the eye muscles. So it's just a sense of, of calm. The eyes are round. They're not squinting or you can't see the sclera or the whites of the eyes generally. The expression's friendly, serene, 
and they're blinking slowly and deliberately. So if you were, again, in the horse's position, think about it. Think about how we react. Okay, when we're just sitting there relaxed, our eyes are, are relaxed and they're in a normal position, if maybe a little dozy, soft, relaxed eyes. What happens when you're alert? Whoa, whoa, your head pops up, right? You're looking around, your eyes widen, your, your eyelids get bigger. And then if you're like really scared, so you see it in like actors and movies, like in, in, in the, the scared eyes super wide, right? So you can get a great view, wide-eyed, whoa, here we go. It's the same thing with your horses, right? So that, that's when you, you can think about it with your, with your own general behavior. They're similar. They're mammals. Some other things is their muscles are relaxed. There's no you know, tension. The tail's hanging loosely. I mean, occasionally we'll swish for flies, but it's not going back and forth or it's not elevated. Their breathing is, is normal, calm and regular, and it just they look peaceful. And they could be laying down. Sometimes horses do, especially young horses. But most horses can be standing there and, and their stay apparatus is locked in and they're just resting. Now let's get a little bit more. And we talked about the eye. Let's talk about face expressions. Do horses make face expressions? Yes, they do. And one of the things we always talk about is ears. Ears are the barometer of the horse's mood. I've heard that my entire life. You can usually tell what a horse is thinking by watching their ears. It's one of the first things we teach students, or if you're teaching riding, or you learned being around horses. Generally, you want to see their, their ears relaxed. Meaning, you know, they're, they're forward, one's forward, one's back, they're to the sides, their lips are droopy, they look content. When they're alert, head elevated, nostrils flared, eyes a little bit wider, but those ears will generally be pricked forward. Remember, these are larger ears. They're catching those sound waves. They're, they're, their brains are going, is this going to hurt me or not? Or is this something I want to partake in or not? Sometimes those ears will flick back real quick if they, if they hear something behind them, and then it will flick forward again. But generally those ears, remember they have like 21 muscles that control those ears. So they have great control where they can, they can position the ears to, to hear. But that, that's alert. And you see it all the time in horses. Alert is, is, is a part of the repertoire of normal behaviors. They're constantly evaluating their environment, and you see that quite a bit. Really what is important to watch is looking for those ears being pinned flat against the head. That is a sign of I'm irritated, I'm not happy, or I'm in pain, or I'm about to get the big brawl. I am, I am not a happy horse. Those pinned ears are telling either other horses or even you as a warning sign that doesn't make me happy. I'm not happy. Now, in riding or working with a lot of horses, when they're in herd situations, you see it quite a bit. It, 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 it could be very quick. Those ears are pinned and they're given a warning to another horse, stay away, especially with mares and foals. This is my baby. Leave him alone. Or in situations where there's a, a big horse fly that's buzzing them and they're upset. And so they'll pin those ears and try to bite it. 
you've seen it in all sorts of different situations, but as an owner or as somebody working with horses, anytime you see those ears pinned back, try to see what is causing that horse discomfort or be careful, be very careful that you don't get bit, you don't get hit with the hoof, either the front hooves in a strike or being kicked. So always be careful and understand, you know, the horse is communicating to you with those ears. They're saying this is good or not. And then what we always like to see, especially when riding, is those ears kind of back if when you're communicating to the horse. I mean, they're going to constantly move those ears forward and back, evaluating their environment, but you want them to be in contact with you and your voice. They're listening to you, and, and the, those ears should often, you know, when you communicate to them, tuned into you so that they'll be pointed back, but not pinned. Pinned is completely different. That's where they're flat against the back of the head, the pole right past the pole, along the neck, like however their, their heads are oriented, but those ears, they're down. And just to throw some science into here, there was a really interesting paper. Now, this was in Nature Scientific Reports. Again, Nature's one of the top journals, scientific journals in the world. And I love when I see horse papers in there. And this was just published just a few years ago, but it was facial expression and oxytocin as possible markers of positive emotion in horses. And there's been this last 10, maybe 20 years, better understanding of horse behavior. And not just horses, but animal behavior. It's been a huge field. It captures all of our imaginations. And we're understanding animal behavior more than ever. And so facial expressions, you know, do these animals make facial expressions that indicate what they're thinking? And so this was a study looking at this. And what they did, which was interesting, they did standard grooming with horses and then gentle grooming. Not to get into to, you know, too much of, of grooming a horse, but anybody that's groomed a horse, you know you have some of those harder bristle brushes, you have the softer ones, you have your curry combs. And a lot of times we'll groom before we go out for rides and, and get all the dirt and grime off. So sometimes standard grooming, you might be so gentle and soft. And remember, the horse's skin is very sensitive, especially over bony areas. So they wanted to see, okay, standard normal grooming, how most people do it, versus gentle grooming, where they watch the horse behavior. And if there was any sort of negative or avoidance behavior, they stopped doing that. And they would go and do softer brushes or use the curry comb in a different manner. So they called it gentle grooming. When they were looking at facial expressions and looking at uh, the height of the neck, the opening of the eye, lip tension, whether the straight lips, so that means no tension, aligned together, contracted lips, so that's where you know the lips kind of go back and raise jerkily, the lips were extended forward or twitching, so they, they either move laterally or vertically, so they twitch. Or the upper lips extended, where it might be a little bit more aggressive with the upper lip extended. Then they also looked at the position of the ears, which we just explained. And so they looked at the frequency of these behaviors as they groom them. And they also looked at oxytocin and cortisol hormone levels. So stress hormones, cortisol is released in stress response. Oxytocin, they think, has some anti-stress. So if you're stressed, you might release a little bit more oxytocin. Then they also looked at heart rates uh, over the course of the study of 11 sessions of grooming. 
overall, just to get the gist of it, horses that were went through standard grooming tended to have a higher neck, wider eyes, their lips were more contracted most of the time, and there was no difference in their ears. They also found that the oxytocin levels were lower in gentle grooming horses. So in essence, what they're saying is in a stressful situation or not not super stressful, but just in a situation where the horse seems a little bit irritated, you start to see some changes in facial expression where they're not quite happy, but they're just putting up with it because it's part of their daily routine or they know okay here we go i always do this before we get the saddle on before we go here and so they learn to kind of become habituated to it but it still is showing that they're they're not quite happy where in gentle grooming they were fine they were like oh this is great so overall looking at body language facial expressions eyes ears all are indicators of, of the horse trying to communicate with you. The other way horses communicate, they do vocalize, vocalizations. So horses do have their own catalog of vocalizations. Now, in general, you work around horses, you, you learn to recognize these, and you learn to recognize which ones are good, which ones are maybe not so good. Uh, there's been a great paper, Journal of Veterinary Behavior, this was published about 10 years ago. Dr. Yon out of Korea, Acoustic Communication and Domestic Horse, kind of breaks down some of this. And then also Dr. McDonald's book also breaks this down quite a bit. And just kind of summarizing the two, how horses vocalize. I think the, the one everybody globally would recognize is a whinny or a neigh. It's a loud, prolonged call. It can last up to three seconds. It starts high-pitched. And low pitched can be positive, can be negative. There's a study here I'm going to introduce in a second. Could be a greeting call, you know, between two horses, or they're trying to regain contact with the conspecific or another horse. Separation. When you separate two horses that are close friends, you'll hear them neigh or whinny to, to each other. So it can be positive or negative, and before I talk about the study real quick, I'm going to play two whinnies. One could be considered calm, less stressed, and then one is like a stressful situation. It's, it, it's considered a stressful whinny. So hopefully these aren't too jarring, and I'm going to play them back to back, so I'll play it twice for each one. <laughs> Hopefully you could have heard the differences in the two. And in, in, in every horse breed, size of the horse, the whinny's going to change. All of us, our voices sound differently. So you're going to find that in horses too. But another interesting study at a journal of veterinary behavior that was published a little bit over 10 years ago. And this was out of the University of Connecticut. Uh, Rebecca Pond and others was characterization of equine vocalization. They were looking at the bioacoustics of you know, the sound of horse whinnies and different types of vocalization. Now, the aspect of sound that we probably don't think about is the pitch and length and duration. So really slow or really high, really high, really high. You know, da, da, da. 
So we recognize it. Again, these are things that we don't even think about. We just, we, we naturally have learned from the second we were born to being members in, in our cultures and societies, wherever you are in the world, the pitch or, or, or the way things are said to us actually impact how we feel about them, right? So and it also indicates the person speaking what they're thinking or physically going through. So like I said, if I talk really slow, you're like, whoa, okay, he's, he's really relaxed, he's calm. But if I talk really fast and I'm like, oh my goodness, oh, that you you can tell the frequency and pitch really changes. Well, can we tell that in the whinny of a horse? And just to get to the end of the study, yes, you actually can. They put these horses through two different types of situations. They call it eustress and distress. So eustress is positive, positive whinny. It was feeding time at the barn and they recorded over. 233 whinnies in that situation. And then they had mares and foals and separation. And that's pretty extreme. Anybody that's weaned horses, that's a pretty tough time on the farm. Uh, mares are upset. Foals are upset, depending on how well you're designed with that. But I've even seen a mare that accidentally left a foal in a pasture. We were bringing her up uh, to check her. And oh my goodness, she was going nuts and the foal was going nuts and, you know, until we could reunite them. But that is a stressful situation. So those Two, two kind of extremes. Oh, we're getting fed. That's exciting. Good time. And then the, the de-stress, full separations. They had 199 one of, uh, vocalizations of those that they recorded. And sure enough, yes, uh, the horses definitely emit different spectrally vocalizations in their whinnies during de-stress and eustress. The next one that we all love to hear, I love knickers. Low-pitched, guttural, pulsated vocalization. Hear this all the time. Feeding time, not only when you enter the barn or you enter, you know, you're outside a pasture or paddock. Feeding time, horses are, are neighing or whinnying, and then they'll, they'll nicker. They'll be just like that, that low guttural nicker. It's just, it melts your heart, right? Generally, you'll see this also mare to foal. So a lot of nickering after a mare gives birth. Can't wait to talk about that. I've, I've seen over 100 mares give birth over the years. It, it's just an amazing time to, to watch that interaction, the communication between the mare and the foal uh, immediately after birth, those nickering as they, they start to form those tight social bonds. And then even, even breeding stallions to mares, they'll nicker and nicker at each other. It is, it's, a, it's a greeting, saying hello. Hi, here I am. So here I'm going to play a nicker for you, and then uh, you can hear that low guttural pitch. All right, just a sound that melts your heart. Now let's go to the less pleasant, the squeal. High-pitched, definitely can vary in loudness, and it's usually pretty quick, like a second. Usually aggressive interactions, but not, it, it could not be some, some also, you know, just some affiliative behavior. I've seen it between mares and stallions. Anytime uh, you're teasing a stallion to a mare or it's breeding season and, and mares and stallions are around each other, you'll hear that squeal. But usually, you know, in fighting or two horses are going at each other or upset at each other, posturing, biting. You can hear a squeal. You can even hear it after giving something painful, like a treatment, a shot or something like that. You may hear a, a horse squeal. 
it's not the most pleasant sound, so I'm going to play it, but just so you can hear it, and, and, and hopefully it's not too jarring for you, but here you go. <coughs> Heard that a million times in the breeding shed. You, you hear that, that squeal uh, quite often uh, with mares and stallions. The other one that kind of dials this up a little bit is the scream. It's a bit longer than the squeal and it's a higher pitch or at the high pitch, but this is a, a not a happy horse. Generally it, it's either aggression. So two horses fighting or really upset at each other or the horse is just not happy. So again, a squeal could be good or bad a scream. Generally not good. Usually bad. Uh, I'm going to play a sound for you. It's a bit loud again. So just be aware. Here you go. So taking it down a little bit, let's let's go to some lower pitched. Uh, there's the snort, quick, forceful exhalation of air, and this is going to differ a little bit from the blow, which I'm going to play next. But you know, snorting's olfactory investigation, but they can snort when they're posturing, not happy, fighting, but play fighting, they'll do this. So it, it, it could be bad, it could be good. Something you'll hear sometimes around them. So here's what that sounds like. And then we go to the blow. This is what you hear throughout the barn. Just around horses enough. It's short, forceful, strong exhalation of air through their, their nose. Can be exploratory, uh, investigating smells, but can also do it to alert herd mates. It's something that, that they observe in wild horses or feral horses. Uh, so this, if you're around horses enough, you'll, you'll hear not necessarily a, a, a bad, it's just, it's a common noise they make and they're just trying to investigate certain things usually. So here's what that sounds like. And then the groan. You know, oh, we all groan, but it could be good. Could be bad. Long day at work. Oh, getting in a hot tub. Oh, you know, laying down to bed. Oh, groan. We all groan. Horses groan. Could be during times of rolling. They're relaxed, but also could be sometimes in pain. It, when mares are giving birth, like I said, I've heard that nicker a lot while she's laboring. The one thing that just always blew me away especially the first time i ever saw a horse giving birth how quiet they are again this is an animal that had to evolve in a very hostile environment where things are trying to eat you and that mare is wow phenomenal and she's laying down and she will groan you know not loud not super loud just she will groan during parturition so uh, again, something we'll talk about one day is, is partrition. It's just a, an amazing time. It just gives you a deep appreciation uh, for these animals. So here's what a groan sounds like. Other vocalizations, horses snore <laughs> during sleep, yes. Sigh, they kind of, oh gosh, okay. Oh, or relaxed, you know, it's kind of like that groan. Uh, they can sigh. A roar, stallions can roar, 
again, play fighting or fighting. It, it's really louder than a scream. So there are other vocalizations out there, but you know, from the whinny on down to the groan, those are the general ones you'll hear most of the day, day in and day out around a horse farm. Now, as I said in the very beginning, let's flip that. How about how we talk to them? Does that influence how they feel? But does that make them relaxed or upset or uptight or angry? And yeah, studies actually can show that horses can detect anger or joy in our voices. So they are definitely, uh, as the scientists say, uh, you know, capable of interspecific multimodal recognition of human emotions. So dogs do it, right? Oh, you're a bad puppy. And they know, oh, what'd I do? Even though they don't know our words per se, they do learn words eventually. But the tone and inflection of our voice impacts our our canids, our dogs, it also affects our equids. And so this study published in Animals looked at anger vocalizations and joy vocalizations and how the horses responded to it. When they were played anger vocalizations, they had a more vigilant posture, where a joy vocalization, they were more calm or relaxed. Also, when they looked at heart rates of horses, when they had a human anger vocalization, their heart rates went up. When it was joy, their heart rates were, were normal or steady. So what that's showing is how we vocalize with them does have an impact about how they react. And it's something we can investigate in the future. Changing to touch. And this one, oh, is just so important in training. I'm sure there are a million different other podcasts out there with trainers talking about touch and communication. So it is, it is a very important aspect of, of horse training. And that's not what this is talking about. This is talking about how general horses touch with each other and then us in different ways, not so much a training thing. But again, touch is critical in, in training your horse and riding your horse. So just be aware of that. But how horses touch each other or us, if they're in a situation, let's say danger. Again, this is why. Reading body language, different vocalizations, facial expressions can all indicate how that horse may touch you in not a good way. And when we're talking about that, like with each other or any sort of threat, uh, horses are going to pin those ears. They can either rear up and strike with their hooves or they're going to turn their bodies to kick. Uh, they do bite. Horses do bite in, in anger and agitation. But that is one way they communicate in, in touch and not such a great way. But what about the affiliative? Because touch is so important to them. Friendly, peaceful acts exchanging among individuals. So horses nuzzle. Uh, they will nuzzle each other. Foal and mare will nuzzle, but two conspecifics, two best buddies, my besties out in the pasture, they will nuzzle each other and they will nuzzle you. And they recognize you as a companion. And there's nothing more great when a horse nuzzles, nuzzles you. It's just, or you're nuzzled into their neck. It's just, oh, that's, again, another reason why I care about these animals. Other things they do with touch, allegrooming or mutual grooming. So you see that from oriented towards their tail and, and the other, their, their heads at the other tail, and they're grooming each other. 
grooming each other's croups or they'll groom each other's necks. And that is reinforcing important social bonds. They will also lean and, and rest on each other. You know, laying down or standing right next to each other, lean into each other out in a pasture. And then also mating, mating rituals with stallions and mares. There'll be a little nipping, maybe a little bit courtship, but nuzzle, you know, they'll nuzzle each other and, and okay, yeah, we're, we're ready for that. Then when I go back to how we touch them, so we talked about vocalizations, but then also how we touch them. Remember, go back to that facial expression study in nature, the gentle grooming versus standard grooming how we touch them is going to impact, you know, our relationship with them. So it got me thinking, you know, when you think about touch and, and outside of a training horse riding narrative, could horses touch to communicate wants and needs to us? And could they say, I want that treat? My dogs do it all the time. I want that sausage. You know, or I want that steak you're on throwing on the barbecue, or I want those treats you have in the drawer, and they'll they'll point and indicate. But yeah, let me tell you this study: Applied Animal Behavior Science, published less than uh, seven years ago, and this was published out of Norway. And this was such a fascinating study. Horses can learn to use symbols to communicate their preferences. So there's, there, the goal of the study was the method by which horses are taught to touch visual symbols on a display board to communicate their preferences to humans. What they were doing was what the horse wanted their blankets on, but they didn't want a blanket on, or if they wanted the blanket taken off. But teaching these horses, they went through a very long, exhaustive process of if they, so the horse is learning, if I touch this symbol, which was a big rec black rectangle horizontal, okay, across the board. If they, the horse touched that, it put the blanket on. Then in the middle, there was a blank, which means I don't want any change. Blanket stays on if it's on. Don't put it on if it's not on. And then to the right was a rectangle that went vertical up and down, large black rectangle. And that meant take the blanket off. It was a fascinating study. This was fascinating. So then they would go out and test, and it was different weather conditions. So they had days that was like 75 degrees Fahrenheit, 23 degrees Celsius, and then days where it was like 6 degrees uh, Celsius, which is like 43 degrees Fahrenheit, cold, rainy, snowy. And they would go and ask the horse, what's your preference? Do you want the blanket on? Or do you want the blanket off if they had it on? or no change. What they found it was astounding that yes, the horses could learn if they wanted the blankets on or off. So just to summarize the findings, they state the fact that 22 of 22 horses signaled that they preferred to be without a blanket on summer days without rain. And that 20 of the 20, same 22 horses signaled that they wanted the blanket on when it was continuous rain, windy, and chilly, strongly supports our prediction that if horses understood the symbols, their choices would vary with the weather. So basically what they're saying is the horses had learned to communicate their preferences using symbols. And we've done this in other species. You know, we've, we've trained dogs and other species to use that, not just primates. 
So these horses are brilliant. They're brilliant. So they can touch. That's the whole idea, touch. They could touch symbols to indicate what they want. Tying all of this to communication. So I think in the next hundred years, we're going to see some major advances in how we communicate with our animals. Going back to that chemical communication, that is a, an aspect we don't really think of, but it is so important to them. Just to remind you, we have five to six million olfactory receptors, and yet we can still detect someone that smells to us. Even after, I'm, I'm not even saying personal grooming, like after a shower. It's like even with after a shower, their natural body odor is repugnant versus natural body odor is very pleasant smelling. That's your brain telling you stay away from somebody that doesn't smell good because if you ever produced offspring, they would not have good immune genetics. Found that in horses too. But horses have up to 300 million olfactory receptors. So they smell much better than we do. They do the Fleming response. That's because they have that specialized vomeronasal organ that they roll that upper lip back and smell it and detect pheromones and other things. It's, it's also called the Jacobson's organ. A recent paper, uh, The un Underexplored Role of Chemical Communication in the Domestic Horse, talked all about this, about how horses and their chemical communication isn't that well understood yet, that more research needs to be done. And absolutely agree. We do know, what we do know of chemical communication, it is very important in reproduction. So again, that Fleming response that stallions do when they're around mares. They're smelling the mare's urine. They may smell their feces if, if they had access to it because there's more estrogen in the urine of a mare in, in her cycle when she's ready to ovulate. Also, fecal marking is big in horses, and stallions do this, where they will do stallion piles, and it's, it's kind of like you know male dogs that got a wee on everything. Horses do this too. They will make fecal piles where their scent's on it, and, and actual in groups of stallions, they'll all come and mark over each other. It's like a marking ritual. And so they also do a lot of smelling. When horses greet each other, it's one of those things we do when we introduce new tack or a blanket or some of those things to them. We let the horses smell it so they kind of know it's, it's not something that's going to um, harm them. Then we go to mares and foals. Hugely important in chemical communication. In those first few hours, we talked about the nickering and the groaning, how, how resilient these mares are. One of the first things the mares do is start to groom the foal. And she's licking the foal and, and the fetal membranes to get the smell of the foal. But also her saliva is putting her scent on the foal so she can recognize it. It is one of the most incredible things within four hours, generally, those foals are ready to run with the herd. And mom has to be able to recognize which baby's hers. Started off talking about small wild ass. I remember when they did have, have some foals out. And one of, it was an amazing moment because I, I caught it on camera. Three of the, the cutest little baby Somali wild ass went up to this one Jenny, female small wild ass, and tried to nurse on her. 
And she was just getting irritated, ears pinned, her tail was going back and forth. And she warned off the other two foals and walked away until her foal followed her. And then she smelled them and let him nurse. So that chemical communication, because they all three pretty much look the same. Now in horses, we know we have different coat colors, different coat patterns. In the Somali wild ass, they all look carbon copies of each other. So chemical communication is so important. And what's also interesting is the foals can know which mom is theirs. The the mammary gland of the dam will indicate to the foal where. Because remember, binocular vision is not great in horses, but they use their nose to nuzzle, smell, oh, there's the mammary gland, you know, in the rear end of the horse, and the foal will will nurse. So the mammary gland releases odorants that they'll recognize. Brought it all back to mate choice, MHC correlated preferences in diestrous female horses. This was the study I read years ago. It was published in 2017. Just an area of research that was just fascinating that mares did prefer stallions who had different MHC genes to them. So that was a chemical communication that the mares would go and be like, yep, that's the stallion I want to be with. And if you think about it, evolutionary speaking, it makes sense. Whenever you get into immunology, it's always an arms race with the pathogens that we're always fighting. Our bodies are always fighting. And it just came into mate choice. And so there's going to be a lot more fascinating research, I'm sure, done in this area where chemical communication teaches us things that we just would have never known before. I mean, science is so fun and so incredible. And the learning about horses, how they communicate, I'm so excited to see what we're going to learn in the next 10, 20, 30, 40 years. That's always a fun topic, how horses communicate, how they communicate to us, how we communicate to them. And, and I'm going to find more of those studies. And so when we talk about behavior, plug that in because I've always felt most horses I approach are generally relaxed. I've, I've met a few that didn't want to, you know, didn't want anything to do with them. But most horses I felt like when I approached them relaxed, calm voice happy they always knew that and, and i just was never a threat to them and, and so i think it's interesting how perceptive they are but then in, in hindsight i had to recognize if that horse didn't want anything to do with me and not push it right because i don't want to get hurt and i don't want the horse to get hurt if they fled and and got injured my goodness it, it, it don't ever want to do that so fun episode just some housekeeping if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, if you please do on whatever app you're following or on Spotify or iTunes, if you haven't given a five-star ranking, I'm just asking if you want to give a little bit back uh, to me in the podcast, that means the world to me, again, helping spread this information. And that leads into if you could share this with your friends on social media, the only way this podcast is going to grow is through your help. And it just means the world to me. Again, spreading the information and, and getting the message out. 
on the horses. And then where, what's the research saying? What, what, what are we learning about them? And it, it's really helping us tell this story. Also, don't forget, you can go to madbarn.com under the learn tab, all of that information, not just the podcast, but articles on behavior, the stereotypies, breeding guides, you name it. There should be an article on that. Again, pushing, gosh, tons. Every week we're pushing out articles left, right, and center. So so check that out. Check us out on social media, TikTok, uh, Instagram, Facebook. And then any questions or concerns or you have any topics you're interested in learning more about, you can always email me, podcast at madbarn.com. Thank you for listening. We're going to continue this story. Stay tuned.